0: Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation. Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. I'm Tori Poole. The stories in this episode were recorded live from the Edema and Emilio Nicolás Center at Texas Public Radio in downtown San Antonio. This is the second part of the live storytelling event fail, stories about needing to get away, and doing so fast. Our first storyteller is David Rubin. David shares a story about a visit to the airport that went super wrong.
1: My story took place in the summer of 1973, and I'm going to do the math for you, that's 50 years ago and my cousin and i we like to go at the airport and play pinball we were real pinball wizards and the main reason was because back then at the airport only you could still get three games for a quarter instead of two (laughs) and after we spent our money we go out there's a little free parking there by the cab stand and we're getting in my mom's really boss 1969 firebird esprit and there's these three people that are kind of arguing with the cab driver and they're really really kind of nasty looking. One guy has really long, streaky hair. He looks like Charles Manson, barefoot, limping within a, an umbrella. And the other guy, tall, long hair, mustache, and was a kind of a granola girl. And the scruffy guy comes over and he says, hey, kids, we, we're not going to take a cab. We'll give you $20 if you take us to the bus station. Now, we're 17 years old, which means we're real idiots. And what could possibly go wrong? And in our defense, $20 was a lot of money back then. So we're like, yeah, sure, pile in. So they get in the car, and the mean guy's name is Pat, tall guy's name is Howard, and his girlfriend, Pat's girlfriend's name is Wally. So we're heading down San Pedro, and I'm thinking, I have no freaking idea where the bus station is. And there's a biker bar in the way. He says, hey, pull over, and we can go get some drinks. Of course, here again, 17-year-old boys, not uh, very high on the intelligence charts, we're like, yeah, this will be fine. So we go in and this guy is knocking him back. And I actually see him in the corner. He's buying a bottle of rum from a bartender. And so we stay there for about an hour and then we get back in the car and we're heading back south down San Pedro and it just gets really tense in the car. And all of a sudden he tells me, take a left here, pull over. And I went, okay. And he, I, maybe he knows where the bus station is. And he said, turn off the car. I went, oh shit, he's gonna steal this car. And he looks at me and he said, this car is going to Mexico. And I thought, is that with us or without us? (laughs) And actually what I said was, what? And he took that umbrella wiped me right across the face. It didn't really hurt, but scared the crap out of me, broke my nose, knocked my glasses off, and I said, okay, and he said, turn around and I'm like okay so I'm heading back up towards San Pedro thinking I don't think this is the way to Mexico (laughs) and he's got an umbrella against my head saying all kinds of nasty things and as we get up towards the malls and he said take a left here I pulled into the Central Park Mall parking lot older people here will remember this (laughs) and so we get out this is about two in the morning and we get out of the car and he comes over and I thought oh god is this going to be another beating or what and take the car go, but instead he's crying and he's like, I, I can't believe I, I hit you, I'm so sorry. I'm really not like that, I'm a nice guy. We killed somebody in Houston. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> wait, I didn't need to know this, I didn't hear that. And I look, and my father actually had a store in Central Park Mom, I'm looking at his loading dock over there, it's just very surreal. So we were chatting and getting kind of friendly, I guess. Uh, <laughs> And I, he said, look, if you can take us to a hotel, we'll just, we'll be out of your hair. We thought, okay. So we went to a couple of hotels. You're not letting this guy in. He's barefoot and earring and all this. So finally I thought, I think I need to take them to the Austin highway because it, back then it was pretty seedy and I knew there's a $3 <laughs> motel. And so we go and there's a place called Western Sun. So we pull in and smartly sent the girl in to rent a room. She comes back, she's jiggling the keys and go, I got a room. And Pat gets out, and he's coming around my window, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's gonna give me 20 bucks. Instead, he grabs me by my hair. And by the way, I was only about five feet one, weighed about 80 pounds. He pulled me out like I was nothing, yelled, get the other guy, and he's dragging us into this room, and there's a guy walking down the street. On, uh, I'm yelling, help, help, this guy's gonna kill us. He just kept walking. That was a scary part. It gets a little worse. So he drags us into room number three, throws us into the closet, and then he's just going ballistic. I mean, this guy's like Jekyll and Hyde. And he's breaking things and he's like, I gotta kill him, I gotta kill him. And Howard's over there going, Yeah, you gotta kill him. And Mike and I going, Shut the fuck up, Howard. <laughs> and, and so uh, Wally, the girl, basically saved our lives. And she got in his face and's like, Look, these are kids, they don't know anything, they're idiots, and they're. Uh, So he drags me out, leaves Mike in, and I can't see anything because it's now real bright, throws me against the wall. This I'll never forget. it's 50 years ago. And he's standing over me with this pained look, and he said, I'm not a violent person. I thought, bullshit, you are really fucking violent. (laughs) So not a violent person, but if you kick me in the balls right now, I just look at you and say, why did you do that? And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that, I promise. Next thing I know, we're in a car, we're heading down south, going to Mexico, down I-35. I fell asleep in the car, we woke up, and here again, Dr. Jekyll Mr. Fuckface, I mean, Jesus Christ, this guy was like, oh, so nice, and he's buying us breakfast. But this is where Stockholm Syndrome kind of kicks in, because now we know we're captives, they know they're the bosses, and we're all being nice to each other. So next thing I know, we're heading down towards Brownsville, and we turn off as some dirt road close to the tip of Texas, and we're in this. There's this shack out there. It's like a hideaway place. And they get out of the car, and my cousin Mike and I were in the car and we're like, should we start the car and get out of here? And how many detective shows have you seen where you start the car and goes and it don't move? And they hear it and they come out with whatever. So we said, We'll just get out of the car. And we go inside and look, and there's like there's farm implements all over. There's a sickle on the wall and hose and rakes and all this. And Mike looks and he goes, Hey, let's go to Mexico. So we pile back in the car, head down to the border, (laughs) cross the border, because nobody gives a shit when you go into Mexico. (laughs) And we go down there and first thing he does is go into a boot store and put on boots and walk out with him because he had no shoes. And then he starts (laughs) drinking tequila and he's starting to get all nasty again. And we're going back across the border. and He said, look boys, if you don't say anything, we're just gonna cross the border, you drop us back, and we're all good. And remember, we're 17, we're boys, we're idiots. And we're like, okay. So we go back across, and he says, my feet hurt. I need, we need to get some socks. We pull into a golf mart, if anybody remembers those stores. And we're sitting at a dinette set, and Wally, the woman's going buying him socks, because he can't buy his own socks, and <laughs> The store detective comes up or or security and says, you can't sit here. And of course, he's drunk and he's mouthing off. And so he calls the police and the police come and they arrest him for drunken disorderly. So Mike and I are like, yeah, we're the bad guy's gone. You know, here again, we weren't thinking very clearly. So we said, look, we'll take you guys back and we're gone. So we take him back to the place. And Wally says, you know, it's really late. Why don't you guys just spend the night here and then you can leave in the morning. And like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we fall asleep and Mike wakes up and he tries to wake me up and, and he didn't want to make a lot of noise. So he went ahead, took the car, counted the poles to the gas station to ask where the Brownsville police station was. And when he got there, he's told them what happened and they don't believe him because he's a 17-year-old idiot kid. And they call his mom. His mom say, yeah, they've been missing for two days, idiots. <laughs> and so... Uh, they're gonna come back and get me but we're not in their jurisdi- uh, jurisdiction so they had to call the uh, brownsville county sheriff and in the meantime howard wakes up and he sees the car gone and all of a sudden howard grows balls and goes ballistic and starts throwing shit. where's the car waking me up and i'm like i i don't know it's, it's gone and all of a sudden he starts looking at the sickle on the wall and he looks at me and i'm like oh god no you're not that smart and (laughs) the next thing i know the lights are flooding in and the police are like come out with your hands up he bolts out the back door i come out the front door with my hands up like i'm the guilty one and (laughs) came with the lights and so they found him out back and they took us all down to the Uh, police station and arrested Howard but not Wally so they put my cousin and I in the drunk tank for some reason and we're there and Wally comes up and she's you know Mike goes up to talk to her and she says boys I apologize for everything that happened I know we promised you $20 so (laughs) here's $20 (laughs) and the only thing that I could think of to tell my cousin is half of that's mine Thank you, I just want to say my cousin has to be sitting right back over there, here not working, so thank you. We
0: can add that to the list of things we never want to experience at the airport. Know someone with a great story? Tell them about Worth Repeating. Worth Repeating is currently accepting submissions for November's live event, Elevated. From higher knowledge to raised forms of consciousness, these stories are all about reaching new heights. Submit today by visiting tpr.org wr. Our next storyteller is Norma Schmelling. Norma shares a story about how it takes a pair of balls to really send a
2: message. Our cruise ship was headed across the Drake Passage to Antarctica. And the Drake Passage is known for being extremely rough because it's where the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans meet and then the southern seas come up from Antarctica. Our passage was made even rougher because the captain had told us he was trying to outrun a weather system. And so he was going to be going 50 knots, which is about 60 miles an hour. And throughout the night, I would hear this thud, thud, thud as we would hit these waves. And every time that happened, my balcony door would swing open, swing shut, swing open, swing shut. I was too tired to get up and close it. The next morning I got up, the cabin was really hot. So I opened that door, got dressed, went out onto the balcony, and As I was out there, I began to get cold, because all I had on was two sweaters, a pair of pants, socks, and shoes. Suddenly we hit another big wave, thud, the door slammed shut. I didn't think anything about it. it had been doing that all night long, until I went to open it, and then it would not open. I tried several times, it would not open. I looked in and I saw that latch had caught. And I thought, ugh, I'm in trouble. Because I was traveling alone, even though I was part of a group I hadn't really gotten to know anybody. I wasn't going to be missed. It was noon. The next time I figured someone would come into my cabin would be the steward for turndown service at seven o'clock that night. I'd be a frozen little popsicle out on the balcony by then. So I thought, how am I going to get out of this? Fortunately, there were rooms on either side of me. And so I thought, well, maybe somebody's in those rooms and I can call out to them. And so I looked around the partition. It was solid, ran from the top to the bottom, looked around, called out, hello, hello. No response, went to the other side. Hello, no response. Later I would find out there was nobody in either of those rooms. But ever so briefly I considered getting on the railing and trying to work my way over to that balcony where if someone did come in they would see me. But then I looked down at those waves and I thought, nah, don't even go there. You've gotta come up with something else. And that was when I realized I've got to scream. And I've got to scream really loud. And I'm not a screamer. I've I've never screamed in my life. When I'm scared, I, (gasps) and that wasn't going to cut it out there. And then it occurred to me, I've got to use my cattle calling voice. (laughs) And the reason I know how to call cattle is because I was once married to a rancher. And the first time we went out in the pasture for him to show me his cows, we drove in. There was not a cow to be seen. I said, well, we're out of luck. He said, just wait. He got out of the car, went around the back. Wah! 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 <laughs> and he did that for about five minutes. And here comes cattle galloping across the pasture and I said I want to learn how to do that and he said well you can't and I said why and he said because you're a girl and I said what has that got to do with it and he said well because you have to call cattle from your balls and and you don't have any. And so I thought, we'll see about that. So I said, well, let me try. So we drove into another pasture, not a cow to be seen. I got out of the car. Wah! 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 In about five minutes, here come the cows. So I looked at him, I didn't say a thing. He was really sheepish. He said, well, it's not bad for a girl. So that was the voice I knew I had to use. I couldn't go help, help. It was gonna have to be help, help, help. And I started calling. And after about five minutes, I realized I can't do this continuously or I'm going to lose my voice. So I would call, stop, call, stop, no response. I was beginning to get really cold. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I started calling again. And I hear this voice from above say, where in the hell are you? (laughs) And I stuck my head out and looked up, and there was this man's face looking down at me. And I explained my situation to him. He said, just stay where you are. Like, I'm going to go anywhere. I'll send somebody down. So I waited and waited and waited, and nobody came. So I get back again and start bawling out. Help, help. And his face appears immediately. And he says, no one's come. I said, no. He said, I'll take care of that. Within a minute, there was a steward in my room, let me out. As soon as I got in my room, I put on a coat, went upstairs to find this savior who had come to my rescue, and I discovered that there was a bar over my cabin, and then there was a balcony (laughs) around that bar, and my new best friend, whose name was Dave, had gone out onto the balcony to smoke. And it was the only time in my life I've been grateful for somebody smoking. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Wow. It really does take a pair to reach a new audience. Worth Repeating is now a book. Trinity University Press and TPR are proud to present Worth Repeating: San Antonio Stories, featuring 40 true narratives. Pick one up at the next live event, October 17th. Your support funds programs like these. Our final storyteller is Galileo Gonzalez. Galileo shares a story about how not all crazy cat people are created equal.
3: Can y'all hear me? Cool. So I work at a digital library, and one of the most important jobs, or one of the most important rules at my job is to not give out anyone's personal information, and this is why. So the first year at my job, there was this patron. I wanna call him Jim. Jim was a crazy cat guy. He wasn't kept, full of dander, reeked the cat food, but he was very intelligent and very kind to the staff. We were happy to help him out with whatever he needed. On a day off, I get a phone call. It's a 210 number, so I answer it. It's Jim. Apparently, Jim asked my boss if he knew somebody trustworthy who'd watch his cats while he's out of town for the weekend, and my boss had the genius idea of giving him my phone number. (laughs) Nevertheless, I said yes, so... We set up a meetup time. He gave me the keys to his home and broke down the rules for me as to how to feed the cats and watch them and everything. So the first day of cat sitting, I enter his house, and it is a mess. Uh, To summarize it simply, the cats did not live with him. He lived with the cats. (laughs) There were maybe around 7 to 10 cats. I don't remember most of them. I do remember Squeaky and Stinky, who had a missing eye. So when Jim came back from his trip, he was so happy with the job I did that he paid me very generously, about a hundred bucks for like a weekend. So pretty good. And he asked if I could watch his cats whenever he goes out of town. Jim, being a a great patron at work, I said, yeah, why not? I'll watch your cats. So I did. I'd watch his cats whenever he'd go out of town. Sometimes Jim would invite me for lunch at his home, so I'd go, i hang out with him. And usually the conversation will start very, you know, pretty simple, but eventually he will start talking about how the FBI and Secret Service have been harassing him for years. <laughs> so these conversations pretty much started veering towards crazy cat guy territory, but because Jim was a great patron and paid very generously, I just let him talk. One day I am about to clock in for work and I get a phone call. It's a phone number I don't recognize, so I just send it to voicemail. I listen to it, and it's somebody claiming to be from the Secret Service, uh, asking uh, asking about me, and that they have questions about Jim, and to call him at a specific number. Now at this point, I'm thinking, this has gotta be a cruel joke. This isn't real. So I go ahead and I Google the phone number, and the first search result is Secret Service Branch San Antonio. (laughs) So I call back. The agent answers. Um, I will say that the Secret Service agent was actually a very nice gentleman. And he just started asking me, you know, oh, hey, how did you meet Jim? You know, how do you know him? So I tell him, hey, he's a patron at my job. I've been watching his cats for about a few months. That's pretty much it. So then the agent starts telling me, well, uh, Jim has been under investigation by both the Secret Service and the FBI. He has threatened to firebomb his previous job. He has threatened to kill the president. And he has weapons stashed all over the neighborhood. The same neighborhood I live and work in. At this point, I'm realizing that everything Jim was saying has been the absolute truth. <laughs> so before, before, the phone, before the call ends... The agent asks if I have any questions. I don't, but I tell him that I'm, I'm I'm tripping out because I thought this whole time Jim was just a crazy cat guy. And then the agent tells me, well, yeah, he is a crazy cat guy, but he's also very intelligent, and that's a dangerous combination. <laughs> so the phone call ends, and everything after that pretty much becomes a shit show. My girlfriend is very unhappy with me because of the situation I got myself into. The FBI actually go to my job while I am out for lunch because they were trying to look for me to ask me questions, and my boss really just wants to write me up, even though he got me in this mess in the first place. <laughs> anyway, um... <laughs> so... Weeks pass, and I'm still watching his cats, and <laughs> I get a phone call from Jim. Uh, Jim left Texas, he hates it here, uh, but he has just one more job for me, and that's it. Uh, he Somebody's gonna come to pick up the cats, and to just wait for them the next day. So I'm like, all right, cool, that sounds fine, I guess. <laughs> So I go to his home. I I wait for the for the car that's gonna come up, and they, you know, this truck pulls up full of kennels, and this lady pops out, and she's like, "Are you Galileo?" I'm like, "Yeah," and she's like, "Okay." Um, I met Jim through a Facebook group. <laughs> I promised I'd watch his cats if something crazy were to happen because I thought it was just a bunch of baloney. I'm coming all the way from Round Rock and I can't believe I just got myself in this mess. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm there with you. <laughs> so I go ahead, I open the door to, the, to to his home. We get the cats out and she's pretty much on her way. Uh, I'm thinking this is the end of it all. So about a few weeks later, I get a phone call from, uh, not a phone call, I get a text from Jim Thanking me for everything I did and the way, you know, for watching us cats and how grateful he is. And I never reply back. I end up just going to the T Mobile store and changing my phone number. Thank you.
0: It kind of sounds like some people are exactly who they say they are that's it for the worth repeating podcast do us a favor and give us a like subscribe or review us wherever you stream podcasts worth repeating returns october 17th and the theme is specter ever thought you weren't quite alone maybe you had an uninvited guest these stories are sure to haunt so grab tickets by visiting tpr.org backslash wr support for worth repeating comes from the 8020 foundation Worth Repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Tori Poole. Thanks for listening.